Introduction to Frostiana, or A History of the River Thames in a Frozen State. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lewis Fletcher. Frostiana, or A History of the River Thames in a Frozen State, by George Davis. Introduction, containing an account of the late frost. The late severe frost was ushered in by a fog, which for its density and duration has seldom been equalled. The winter of 1795 was marked by much the same circumstances as the present. The nights were so extremely foggy that torches were used in the streets, coals were four shillings a bushel, and vegetables extremely dear. But the only fog at all comparable to that of 1813 was one which happened on the evening of New Year's Day, 1730, when many lives were lost in London in consequence. The fog was so dense that several persons fell into Fleet Ditch and others into the canal in St. James's Park by mistaking their way. Much damage was also done on the Thames. The great fog which preceded the late frost commenced in London on the evening of the 27th of December, 1813, about two hours before Lord Castlereagh set out from London on his way to embark for the continent. Happily his lordship proceeded on his journey without interruption. It was not so with the Prince Regent, who, intending to pay a visit to the Marquis of Salisbury at Hatfield House, was obliged to return back to Carlton House after one of his outriders had fallen into a ditch on this side of Kentish Town, and which short excursion occupied several hours. Mr. Croker of the Admiralty, also wishing to proceed on a visit northward, wandered in the dark for several hours without making more than three or four miles progress. This tremendous fog, or darkness that might be felt, continued until the 3rd of January. On most of the roads, excepting the High North Road, travelling was performed with the utmost danger, and the progress of the mails was greatly impeded. On Wednesday the 29th of December, the Birmingham Mail was nearly seven hours in going from the post office to a mile or two below Uxbridge, a distance of 20 miles only. On this and the other evenings, the short stages in the neighbourhood of London had two persons with links running by the horses' heads. Nevertheless, with this and other precautions, some serious and many whimsical accidents occurred. Pedestrians even carried links or lanterns, and many who were not provided with these illuminators lost themselves in the most frequented and at other times well-known streets. Hackney coachmen mistook the pathway for the road and vice versa, the greatest confusion occurring. On the 31st of December, the state of the metropolis in consequence of the increased fog was, at night, truly alarming. It required great attention and knowledge of the public streets to proceed any distance, and those persons who had any material business to transact were unavoidably compelled to carry torches. The usual lamps appeared through the haze no bigger than small candles. The more careful hackney coachmen got off the box and led their horses, while others drove only at a walking pace. There were frequent meetings of carriages, and great mischief ensued. Among the passengers, much caution and apprehension prevailed. Many alarmed at the idea of being run down made exclamations, such as, Who is coming? Mind! Take care! etc. Females, who had ventured abroad before the fog came on, were placed under great peril. Several missed their way. Such was the extreme density of the atmosphere on Tuesday evening, the 28th, that the Maidenhead coach on its return from town missed the road near Harford Bridge and was overturned. Lord Howarden was among the passengers and received an injury by the accident. 
Almost immediately on the cessation of the fogs, heavy falls of snow took place. There is nothing in the memory of man to equal these falls. After several shorter intervals, the snow continued incessantly for 48 hours, and this too after the ground was covered with a condensation, the result of nearly four weeks' continued frost. Almost the whole of the time, the wind blew continually from the north and northeast, and was intensely cold. A short thaw also, which scarcely lasted one day, only rendered the state of the streets so much the worse. Hence the mass of snow and water became so thick that it was with difficulty that hackney coaches with an additional horse and other vehicles could plough their way through. Almost all kinds of trades and callings carried on in the streets stopped, which considerably increased the distresses of the lower orders. Few carriages, even stages, could travel on the roads, which, even about town, seemed deserted. From many buildings, icicles, full a yard and a half long, were seen suspended. The house water pipes were all frozen, whence it became necessary to have plugs in the streets for the supply of all ranks of people. The Thames, from London Bridge to Blackfriars, was for nearly a fortnight nearly completely blocked up at ebb tide. All the ponds and rivers in the neighbourhood of London were completely frozen, and skating was pursued with great avidity on the canal in St. James's, and the Serpentine in Hyde Park. On Monday, the 10th of January, the canal and the basin in the Green Park were conspicuous for the number of steel-shod heroes who covered their glassy surfaces, and who, according to their respective qualities, administered to the pleasure of the throng which crowded their banks, some by the agility and grace with which they performed their evolutions, and others by the tumbles and other accidents which marked their clumsy career. There was, as usual, a motley collection of all orders of His Majesty's subjects engaged in the busy scene, who seemed all alike eager candidates for the applause of the multitude, and whether sweep, dustman, drummer, or bow, each seemed conscious of possessing some claim, not only to his own good opinion, but to that of the fair bells who viewed his movements. There were several accidents in the course of the day, but none, we believe, of a serious nature. While these parks were thus numerously attended, Hyde Park had to boast of a more distinguished order of visitors, who, in the course of the afternoon, flocked in prodigious crowds to the banks of the Serpentine, which was covered with most excellent ice. Notwithstanding the keenness of the breeze, several females of Dash, clad in robes of the richest fur, bid defiance to its chilling embrace, and on the fragile bosom of the river ventured their fair frames. The skaters were in great numbers, and were of first-rate note. Some of the most difficult movements of the art were executed with an agility and grace which excited universal admiration. A lady and two officers performed a reel with a precision scarcely conceivable, and attracted a very numerous circle of spectators, whose boisterous applause so completely terrified the fair cause of their ecstasy, as to induce her to forego the pleasure she herself received from the amusement, and to put an end to that which she afforded to such as were disposed to admire her in silence. Two unfortunate accidents occurred. One skating lady dislocated the patella or knee-pan, and five gentlemen and a lady were immersed in the icy fluid, but received no further injury than a severe ducking. On the 20th of January, in consequence of the great accumulation of snow heaped upon the ground, it became necessary to relieve the roofs of the houses by throwing off the load collected upon them, and by these means the carriageways in the middle of the streets were rendered scarcely passable for man or horse, and all the conveniences described in page 9 and 10 were the consequence. The streams constantly flowing from the open plugs added to the general mass of ice. An enormous increase took place in the price of coals, as the river navigation and other means of conveyance were entirely obstructed. 
The continuation of the frost and snow induced many coach proprietors, particularly on the northern and western roads, not to continue running their coaches until a change of weather should take place. In many places where the road lies low, the snow had drifted higher than the coaches, which was the case as near town as Finchley Common. The snow had drifted into the road in the course of one night, a depth of sixteen feet, and it was impassable at first, even to oxen. On Bagshot Heath there was a complete stoppage, and many accidents occurred by vehicles getting off the road. About Esher and Cobham again, the road was completely choked up. With the exception of the Kent and Essex roads, no others were passable but a few miles out of London. The coaches on the Western Road remained stationary at different parts. The Windsor coach got through the snow at Colnbrook, which was 16 feet deep by employing about 50 labourers. Lower down at Maidenhead Lane, the snow drifted to a great depth, and between Twyford and Reading it assumed quite a mountainous appearance. On parts of Bagshot Heath it is impossible to convey an adequate idea of its situation. The Newcastle coach went off the road into a pit upwards of eight feet deep, but without doing mischief to either man or horse. The Middle North Road was impassable as near as Highgate Hill. On the 22nd of January, and for some days afterwards, the ice on the Serpentine River exhibited a singular appearance, from the mountains of snow which the sweepers had collected together in different situations. The spaces allotted for the skaters were in the forms of circles, squares, and oblongs. Next to the carriage ride on the north side were many astonishing evolutions displayed. Skipping on skates and the Turk cap backwards were among the most conspicuous. A sledge was drawn by a pony, rough-shod. The ice was not good, it being injured by a partial thaw in some places, and in others much cut up. It was highly amusing to see the most elegantly dressed females dashing through the hillocks of snow. Among the extraordinary aspects and appearances of the late severe weather, the state of the River Thames was not the least singular. Vast quantities of pieces of floating ice, loaded generally with heaps of snow, were seen almost everywhere on the surface, and being carried up and down by the tide or the stream, and collected where the projecting banks or the bridges made a resistance to the flow, and a support to the accumulation, sometimes forming a chain of glaciers united one moment, at another clashing and cracking and dashing in a singular and awful manner. Again, when the flood beneath was not sufficiently elevated to support the mass, and when the current passed strongly, the ice islands floated away, clashing and cracking as they went, rising one over another, and then receding, covered with angry foam, as the violence of the wind or wave impelled them. In passing through the arches of the bridges, the crash was tremendous, for near the bridges the floating pieces collected about mid-water, or while the current was less forcible, and ranged themselves regularly one line upon another the stream forcing them into order as it passed, where it made its way in force, till the increasing confinement of the channel added such violence to the conflict that a disruption took place, and the broken ice with a crash burst away again, and was carried up or down with the tide or the stream. The river was entirely frozen over for the space of a week, and a complete frost fair held upon it, a circumstantial account of which will be found in Chapter 1, Frost, page 17 and following pages. Never since the establishment of mail coaches did correspondence meet with such general interruption as on this occasion. Internal communication was completely at a stand till the roads could be in some degree cleared, for besides the drifts by which they were rendered impassable, the whole face of the country presented one uniform sheet of snow, no trace of road being discoverable, and travellers had to make their path at the risk of being every moment overwhelmed. Wagons, carts, coaches and vehicles of all descriptions were left in the midst of the storm, the drivers, finding they could proceed no farther, took the horses to the first convenient place, 
and there waited till a passage could be cut to enable them to proceed with safety. Nothing could exceed the exertions of the post office in having the roads cleared in all directions for the conveyance of the mails to and from the capital. The government also very properly interfered, and instructions were sent to every parish in the kingdom to employ labourers to clear the roads. The snow accumulated in the Midland counties, particularly on the borders of Northamptonshire and Warwickshire, to a height altogether unprecedented. In the village of Dunchurch, a small village on the road to Birmingham through Coventry, and for a few miles round that place, in all directions, the drifts exceeded the height of twenty-four feet, and no tracks of carriages or travellers could be discovered on the roads thereabouts, except on the Great Road for many days. The Cambridge mail coach, in coming to town, sunk into a hollow part of the road and remained in that situation with the snow drifting over it, from one o'clock to nine in the morning, when it was dragged out by fourteen wagon horses. Several passengers were in the coach the whole of the time. They were nearly frozen to death. On Wednesday the 26th, the wind having veered around to the southwest, the effects of a thaw were speedily discernible. The fall of the river at London Bridge for some days presented a scene both novel and interesting. At the ebbing of the tide, huge fragments of ice were precipitated down the stream with great violence, accompanied by a noise equal to the report of a small piece of artillery. On the return of the tide, they were forced back again, but the obstacles opposed to their passage through the arches were so great as apparently to threaten a total stoppage to the navigation of the river at this essential point, and which probably would have soon taken place had the frost continued with unabated severity. On Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, the 27th, 28th, and 29th, the thaw continued, and the roads and streets were nearly impassable from floods and the accumulation of snow. But on Sunday the 30th, a sharp frost set in, and continued till the next Saturday evening, the 5th of February. Accounts from the Country These narratives respecting the heavy falls of snow are truly astonishing. We select some of the most remarkable. Falmouth The weather has been more severe in this county than has been remembered for twenty years. Heavy falls of snow, succeeded by hard frosts, have rendered all travelling by coach impracticable, and even on horseback highly dangerous. The mail coach, which started from this town for Exeter, was overturned after having proceeded a few miles, but happily no material injury was sustained by either passengers, driver, or guard. With much difficulty, the coach was enabled, with the assistance of an additional pair of horses, to reach the first stage, after which all endeavours to go farther were found perfectly useless. The letters were, however, sent to Bodmin by the guard on horseback. The Falmouth and Plymouth coach has been prevented from travelling by the snow, and the passengers have been obliged to remain at St. Austell. We have no doubt that, farther to the eastward, the roads are in a still worse condition, as our last Plymouth letters mentioned that the snow was then nearly four feet high in several of the streets in that town, and that all coaches for Exeter, etc., are unable to travel. Liverpool, January 17th. We have now had three weeks of the most rigorous frost, which has been remembered for a great number of years. Fahrenheit's thermometer stood at 15 degrees, 17 below the freezing point at the Athenium. In the country it was no doubt much lower. Such a quantity of ice has been accumulated in the Mersey that boats could not pass over. Almost every kind of labour performed without doors is nearly at a stand. Gloucester, January 17th. The severity of the frost for the last fortnight has not been exceeded by any that has preceded it. The Severn is frozen over, and the ice is, in many places, sufficiently strong to sustain persons on its surface. Indeed, several people going to Tewkesbury Market on Wednesday last rode across the ice on horseback at the load near that place. 
On Monday, the cold was so intense that the thermometer, exposed in a northeastern aspect, stood at 13 degrees, which is 9 below the freezing point. On the eastern coast, it stood as low as 9 and 10, a degree of cold very unusual in this county. Bristol, January 18th. The frost continues in this city with unusual severity. Our floating harbour now exhibits quite a novel scene. From Cumberland Basin to the feeder at the bottom of Avon Street, it is one continued sheet of ice. And for the first time in the memory of man, the skater made his appearance under Bristol Bridge. The River Severn is also frozen over at various points, so as to bear the weight of passengers. Whitehaven, January 18th. The frost, which seemed likely to continue, has increased in severity, and is at this time more intense than ever. All the ponds, streams, etc. in this neighbourhood are frozen, and there is scarcely a pump in this town that is not dry. The observations as to the thermometer are various, but all agree in ascertaining these instruments to be considerably lower than they have been for many years past. The snow, which fell in great quantities on the night of Sunday the 9th, has been increased in a very considerable degree by repeated heavy showers, and the whole rendered particularly severe by the high winds which prevailed during the earlier part of the storm, drifting the snow in many situations in such a manner as to make travelling very tedious, as well as dangerous, and in some places entirely blocking up the roads. The effect has been to render the arrival of the post and carriers very uncertain. The former have for a week past been several hours later than the usual time. Our market on Wednesday was very thinly attended, it having been found in many parts impossible to travel until the snow was cut. We understand the snow lay the deepest between Wigton and Cockermouth. A few miles to the south of this town there was little in comparison, but a great deal fell on Sunday last, and we hear that towards the evening it was nearly three feet deep on the road between Whitehaven and Egermont. Dublin, January 14th. It is supposed that the present fall of snow has been as heavy as any ever known in Ireland, but as to the quantity there seems to be no doubt of its being greater than ever before experienced in the same space of time. In this respect we can answer that it is unparalleled for half a century, upon the authority of a very intelligent gentleman in this city, who has kept a regular diary of the weather for the last fifty years. The snow preceding Monday was so slight as hardly to occasion even a remark, and yet, in the course of the day and night, it had descended so inconceivably thick and rapid as to block up all the roads in such a manner as to preclude the possibility of the mail coaches being able to proceed. One, indeed, and only one, from Galway, arrived the next morning. None has ventured to leave Dublin, and it was found impracticable to send the mails on horseback. Thus, all intercourse with the interior has been cut off, and it was not until yesterday when an intense frost suddenly commenced that the communication was opened. About two o'clock, the inhabitants of this city witnessed the gratifying sight of several mailbags arriving from the country on horseback. The depths of snow in the streets of Dublin almost exceeds credibility. In many of the narrow streets, after the footways had been in some measure cleared, it was more than six feet. It was nearly impossible for any carriage to force a passage, and few ventured on the hazardous attempt. Many accidents, both distressing and fatal, occurred. The distress in that abode of poverty, the liberty, is excessive. In many streets and lanes, the wretched inhabitants were literally blocked up in their houses, and in the attempt to go abroad, experienced every kind of misery that it is possible to imagine. It is painful to state that the number of deaths there have within the last few days been greater than at any other period, unless at the time of the plague. We are informed that 80 funerals occurred last Sunday. The coffin makers in Cook Street can with difficulty complete their numerous orders, and we are pained to state that not a few poor people, 
have been lying dead in their rooms several days, from the impossibility of procuring assistance to convey them to the hospital fields, and the great difficulty and danger of attempting to open the ground, which is very uneven, and where the snow in some parts is perhaps twenty feet deep. Canterbury, January 25th. From the drifted state of the roads, the communication with the metropolis was not open until Saturday, when the snow was cut through by the military at Chatham Hill, and near Gravesend, and the stages proceeded with their passengers, which had been detained from Wednesday night. The mail of Thursday night arrived here late on Friday evening, the bags having been conveyed part of the distance upon men's shoulders. The bags of Friday and Saturday night arrived together on Sunday morning about ten o'clock, and yesterday the mail coach reached the city about noon. Dalrymple, North Britain, January 29th. Wednesday, the 26th, was an epoch ever to be remembered by the inhabitants of this village. The thaw of that and the preceding day had opened the dune, formerly bound like a rock, to a considerable distance above this, and the melting of the snow on the adjacent hills swelled the river beyond its usual depth, which burst up vast fragments of ice and congealed snow, forcing them forward with irresistible impetuosity, bending trees like willows, carrying down Skelton Bridge and sweeping all before it. Thus proceeded the overwhelming torrent in awful majesty, till it had accumulated a most prodigious mass of the frozen element, which, as if in wanton frolic, it heaved out into the fields on both sides, covering acres of ground many feet deep. Alternately loading and discharging in this manner, it called at a door or two in the village, as if it were to apprise us of its approach. Impatient of restraint, it deserted its wonted channel, trying to make its grand entry by several courses successively in St. Valley, and finding no one of them sufficient for its reception, it took them all together, overrunning the whole home at once, then appeared here in terrific grandeur between seven and eight o'clock in the evening, when the moon, shrinking from so dreadful a sight and concealing herself behind a cloud, and the gloom of night added to the horrors of this tremendous scene. Like a sea, it overflowed all the gardens on the east side from the cross to the bridge, and invaded the houses behind by the doors and windows, lifting and tumbling the furniture, extinguishing the fires in a moment, and gushing out at the front doors with incredible rapidity. But its principal inroad was by the end of a bridge. Here, while the houses stood as a bank on either side, it came crashing and roaring up the street in full career, casting forth, within a few yards of the cross, floats of ice like millstones. By this time, the houses on the west side were in the same situation with those on the east. At one place, the water was running on the house eaves. At another, it was near the doorhead, and midway up the street it stood three and a half feet above the door. Happily for us, it did not advance five minutes longer in this direction, or the whole village had been inundated. The consternation of spectators not unconcerned may be more easily conceived than described. Several have lost considerably, and many families have been expelled their own houses, into which the water is yet pouring, and obliged to seek shelter from their neighbours. We are still apprehensive of another attack, which, from the present local circumstances, will, in all probability, be worse than the first. Accidents. The following are a few of the casualties which have been the consequences of this severe weather. The body of a woman was found frozen to death on the Highgate Road. She proved to have been a charwoman, returning from Highgate where she had been at work, to Pancras. A poor woman named Wood, while crossing Blackheath from Lee to the village of Charlton, accompanied by her two children, was unfortunately benighted and missed her way. After various efforts to extricate herself, she fell into a hole and was nearly buried in the snow. From this, however, she contrived to escape, and again proceeded, but at length, being completely exhausted and her children benumbed with cold, she was constrained to sit down on the trunk of a tree, 
where wrapping her children in her cloak, she endeavoured by loud cries to attract the attention of some passengers. Her shrieks at length were heard by a wagoner, who humanely waded through the snow to her assistance, and taking her children, who seemed in a torpid state, in his arms, conducted her to a public house. One of her poor infants was found to be completely dead, and the other was recovered with extreme difficulty. As a party of workmen were clearing away the snow which was twelve feet deep at Kipton on the border of Northamptonshire, a child about three years old was discovered, and immediately afterwards the mother, as was soon ascertained. The poor woman proved to be the wife of a soldier of the 16th Regiment, and she was returning home with her child after accompanying her husband to the place of embarkation. The poor unfortunates, it was supposed, had been a week in the snow. A respectable, well-dressed man was found lying in the road leading from Longford to Upham, frozen to death. The deceased turned out to be a Mr. Apthorne, a grazier at Coltsworth. He had left Hounslow at dusk on Monday evening after having drunk rather freely, and proposed to go that night to Marlow. His horse was found in a field on the roadside, and had evidently been down. He had property to the amount of sixty pounds in his pockets, besides a watch and pocket-book. On his return from Wakefield Market, Mr. Husband of Holroyd Hill was found frozen to death within little more than a hundred yards of the house of his nephew, with whom he resided. Mr. Chapman, organist and master of the Central School at Andover, Hans, was frozen to death on Tuesday near Wallop in that county. A young man by the name of Monk, while driving a stagecoach near Rygate, was thrown off the box on a lump of frozen snow and killed on the spot. The thermometer during this intense frost was as low as 7 degrees and 8 degrees of Fahrenheit in the neighbourhood of London. End of introduction. Recording by Lewis Fletcher.